moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. And welcome to a special edition of Morton's Law. I'm your host, Christopher Morton, and we made it finally on YouTube. I've been promising it forever, and now we're on the special here post-WrestleMania Night One edition. We're going to bring you full recap of the show we just saw. And joining me right now is none other than the Peeps Nate from Saturday afternoon's main event. Nate, hey how's there. it going? I'm doing great. I'm doing great after watching that show and was able to glad to be able to watch it and see people at the building. How about that? Yeah, good to have you here. And also joining us from the Work Shoot Wrestling Podcast, the man, the myth, the legend, Big Daddy, Corey Richmond. Corey, how's it going? Do, doing good, guys. Thanks for, thanks for having me on the show. Okay, yeah. Thanks for being a part of this. And uh, that was in, in a, I thought it was a better than average show. We're going to get right into the recap of it. And uh, let's go from the start. So, this, well, here's the thing. The show started, and I wasn't sure about the crowd. I had asked a few people because I heard some interesting takes on how many people would actually be there. And then I found out it was like 25,000 people. And a lot of the cardboard cutouts looked like real people. So it confused a lot of people on that. And then, of course, we had that 45-minute weather delay. Uh, Sean, what was your thought when you heard about the weather delay? I thought we'd been in a twilight zone. I never thought I would actually go and watch a wrestling show and hear the words rain delay in a wrestling show. But we actually were able to get through it. I think it was like a 45-minute delay. Yeah, right um, They were able to kill time by interviewing everybody that was participating on night one. One or two stars from night two showed up. Uh, and they actually did as best as they could. They showed a couple of video packages that kind of killed time. But uh, maybe Mother Nature was trying to play a cool joke to remind Vince McMahon who really was in, in charge. Corey, any thoughts on the weather delay and the crowd in general? Uh, I think it was very interesting that you saw who's good at working on the fly and who's not. Um, I thought it was an interesting idea that this company was able to go and put together a quick package of things and putting people in situations. I thought it was on the best they could. I mean, was it perfect? No, but I do think it worked as best as possible. I do think that one of the most interesting things was when the show did start, you saw who looked like stars and who didn't, especially at the very beginning of the show with the national anthem and everything else where you had a guy like Roman Reigns in a suit and tie and a guy like Roman Reigns and Edge in their gear when they're not even wrestling. You know, so I mean, I think that just showed the caliber of who, who portrays himself as a big star and who portrays himself as just as another guy on the roster. Yeah, yeah I think that's cool. also one, one, of those, one of those things that McMahon tries to kind of pass along is that if you're going to be a champ or you're going to be on the show, you have to present yourself as such. And I think those that were there kind of showed their pecking order in the company by how they showed themselves up. Yeah. And uh, also, if you didn't see the pre-show, you didn't have to see it because <laughs> everything was shown to you again in that 45 minutes. So yeah. let's get right into the show. We get to start off with uh, the, the heavyweight championship, WWE championship, Bobby Lashley against McIntyre. 
And I'll be the first to, I, I didn't love that this was the main event. I mean, excuse me, that this was the opener because I thought, listen, with all due respect to the ladies, and we'll talk about that match later, I just feel like when you talk about WWE Championship, this should not be your open, despite the fact that you hear all the time people say, well, if you're not going to main event, then you want to open WrestleMania. And I talk about UFC cards and how you build the card. And I don't think it would have hurt this if it were the pre-main event, if you did a co-main event, so to speak. But uh, even though I didn't like it, uh, there's you know a lot of stuff that happened in this match that made it good. I mean, you know, Sean, what were your thoughts on the match? I thought that the match, it started off slow, but it actually started to build up. I, I understand where you're coming from. To have that as the first match kind of took a little bit away from it because it was like, okay, going in, I actually thought that the way Lashley had been being treated going into the match, that he was going to be a transitional champ. So I didn't put as much into the match as I thought I would, but it actually started off pretty good. I actually, the match got a, a, it got itself a decent pace and I was able to really start to enjoy the match as it went on. Uh, Corey, what are your thoughts on the, the way it started and the build to the finish? Uh, well, being the longest match on the, on the card, 18 minutes and change, I thought it was, I would agree with Sean, it was interestingly paced. I think it built up well at the end. A little slow build, but I think, it, I think it worked. I think it was the right decision to put it on top. I mean, we'll talk about it later on, but I think that it could have been a disaster putting you know, Bad Bunny in the cold co-main event slot. I think that was a lot better than anybody expected, but I think it worked to build the crowd. And especially with that delay, I think if you would start with anything else, maybe besides Cesaro and Seth, that crowd could have very well either turned on this show based on being, you know, annoyed by the weather delay and everything else. I think it was the right thing to put there. And I think keeping Bobby as champion, even if it's for only one or two more shows, I think was the right time with everything going on with this country and everything going on with the company. It even makes the whole thing with the hurt lock, the hurt lock, or the hurt, her business splitting up even more make less sense. But I think it was the right thing right now to keep him as champion. I think it was, and it was the right thing, with especially with the weather delay to put it where it was. And one of the smartest things that they did was when McIntyre first came out, he actually did his three, two, one countdown before he put the claymore into the the ramp, and that got the crowd up to start the match. So they Absolutely. got a lot of positive momentum going in. They got the fans into it, and they really got loud for the entrance when he came into the ring, and that crowd participation really did work. Well, I disagree from the standpoint of, I think that the crowd was so happy to just be there. I think you mm -hmm. could put anything on, and I don't see any crowd turning on this just because, like I said, it was just finally, hey, we get wrestling, we're live, we're here. And that again, I mean, we could argue about it being first. It didn't hurt at the end of the day. But when Michael Cole comes on and says, the most important title in WWE history, and you go, well, it's not the main event. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, just, so I had some thoughts. I mean, we could break down the match a little bit. First, I want to just say a few things that, that bothered me for starters. Okay, we know Bobby Lashley is an MMA fighter, an actual MMA fighter. And I've said this in the past, especially talking about The Undertaker back in the day. I hate it when non-MMA guys do MMA holds. For example, multiple times in this match, McIntyre is putting a Kimura, a double wrist lock, on Bobby Lashley, a guy who in which, if it were a real MMA fight, this would be over in 90 seconds with Lashley getting his hand raised. And yeah. I, just, that, that, I feel like it's insulting to Lashley when you're having to sell a move 
that you know if it really was applied, you'd probably be tapping out because that's how extreme that move is in MMA. I mean, yeah. you got Michael Cole, who is the Iron Man of WWE tonight, and I'm not saying that as a good thing, but you know, what's going on with Todd Phil- uh, with Phillips and everything else you might talk about later, but him saying, you know, pound and ground, you know, at least more than once, you know, because he was doing, I'm sure, so many things, so many people in his ear today, which was, was comical, sort of, you know, ground and pound. And I, I understand that it's a work to, sh- to show and you got to put different things out there to make things look good. And, I'm, and you know, the, the submission didn't look terrible for the, for the novice who doesn't know what's going on. And I thought it was an interesting storytelling, but, you know, if you're doing this, at some point in the match, you, Michael Cole or Samoa Joe, who, you know, practiced MMA and sparring, at some point you have to say that Bobby Lashley has fought in Bellator or, you know, has trained in mixed martial arts, you know, at least to say that this is the reason why he's able to get out of these holes or why he didn't submit right away, where a novice or someone who doesn't know how to get out of these things or release pressure, different things, you know, I think that would have helped a little bit with the commentary to make someone like, you know, Chris, who disbelief of the idea of an MMA fighter, they may have said the fact that this guy, Bobby Lashley has had, you know, a couple of fights, you know, knows how to go and relieve the pressure and may have made a little bit more sense of the reason why he's in a hole for this long and he's able to not, you know, tap out. Yeah, that's the other team. I'm sorry, Sean, they they kind of dropped the ball there. In fact, whoever is in their headset should be talking about that. Somebody in the company should say, we should be saying exactly what Corey just said. I agree with that. Yeah. The other thing that I think threw, threw me off a little bit, it started to get a little more annoying, was the amount of overhead suplexes that, Drew McIntyre did. He started to look almost like uh, like yeah. Taz, how he would do the T-bone. He'd do the T-bone again, or even look a little more like Scott Steiner. He's, I think he suplexed him like five or six times with that overhead suplex, which was like overkill. Yeah, but somebody that's supposed yeah. to be heavier than him and bigger than him, he flung him around like he was a ragdoll. That's fair. I was just going to reference Brock Lesnar and how we get a thousand suplexes from him in a match. But if you're going to go fair. from the standpoint of, okay, this guy is equal size or slightly bigger in terms of girth, you know, uh, muscle, yeah. whatever. I mean, I didn't really have a problem with that. I felt like Lashley's moveset is very limited also. So you didn't mm. get a lot of stuff. I mean, look, it was a good big man match. What I was thinking as I was watching it. Now I want to go to the finish because I was really impressed with how they did this finish. Because as you're watching this, and look, everybody thought going in that McIntyre was going to get that moment in front of the fans. He was going to win. So as he applies, I mean, as, as Lashley applies his finisher, the hurt lock, you're just waiting for McIntyre to find a way to escape. And when he doesn't escape and he finally passes out, your reaction was, wow, like this actually happened. Like it was a shock. And I, I have to say this. I mean, tip, tip the hat to the old man the old man who decided to go in this direction instead of just going the easy way. And I, I was shocked. And uh, give me your thoughts on the finish guys. Sean. Uh, Sean? Uh, I yeah. I, I, what I really enjoy I, the, the buildup going into that move was there was a, there was a sequence where um, McIntyre went to go for the future shock DDT. He did it three times, almost like a, a three amigos where he did one, rolled him over, did it again, did it again, and he only got a two count. So I think a lot of us were kind of thinking, okay, this is building toward the eventual Claymore at some point. But you're right. The, the way that that ended and being put in the move after attempting it one other time in the match where he wasn't yes. able to fully get it in there, that's the reference that you and I talk about off air every so mm-hmm. often, how 
if you're going to use a particular move that's protected, you don't overuse it. You say, okay, it doesn't work one time. Try it maybe one other time later on in the match. You don't repeat it over and over. But the way that this happened, it was perfect. I like the way it was done. Corey? I would say uh, based on uh, match placement, I thought there was a very good chance that you were going to have the heel or at least coming into the match felt like Bobby Lashley was being portrayed as a heel was going to keep the title. So I, and uh, me and uh, Jason Brooks, my partner on the Workshop Wrestling Podcast, went and thought that there was a very good chance coming into this that Bobby Lashley was going to win this match. And I felt it was the right decision for him to, for him to win. So I think if this was the main event, I think there was a better chance that Lashley would have lost the title. And I think they played it very well with them, kept on building on the idea that this was Drew McIntyre's moment the guy who was building, you know, basically saved the company during this pandemic era. And this was going to be his moment. He beat Lesnar in five minutes last year. And it was almost like owed to him. And then all of a sudden, it didn't happen. And it was like, like Chris was saying, the shock value to like the average fan or the guy who isn't watching every week, who just knows that last year without fans, he didn't get that moment. It would be like, oh my God, this has got to happen. You got to have that happy moment on everything. Almost like what like AEW did with some of their shows last year where all the good guys or the baby faces won on their big show and that didn't happen on this show, you know? So I think I give, I give McMahon, which I don't always do right. Give him credit for actually you know, going outside the box on this. And just one yeah. addendum that I'll add, just one last addendum, which kind of soured me a little bit at the end okay. is if you recall just before McIntyre went to go for that Claymore, he got distracted by MVP, which made yeah. him look like an idiot. Because he was in the corner, he was going for the Claymore, and then it looked like MVP wasn't even looking at him. He turned his head, then he turns around and goes for the Claymore and misses. And that's when he gets put in the hurt lock, which made him look like a fool. Going, I I, I, that's the one thing I did not like about the finish. I yeah. do wonder if that was also maybe a timing thing where it was supposed to be done differently and every, and maybe if there was a cue or something that might have gotten screwed up there. That might, I mean, like I said, whatever happens, you got to go with, and you can't say the benefit of the doubt, but I, I'm pretty sure that that might have been a timing cue that got screwed up. But I mean, you know, what happens, happens, and you're absolutely right that it didn't look great, but I would think that most likely with everything that was going on with 45-minute rain delay and everything else, I, I could see that maybe there was a timing cue issue on that. Maybe it should have been done slightly differently. But overall, I think it was a, a solid opener, and it was a good way to start a show for, for fans who hadn't seen wrestling in a year. Yeah. Live. Yeah. Well, let's move along now. Uh, the next match – we get the tag team turmoil women's match. And uh, listen, there's it not much you could really say about this. I just want to go over some quick notes that I had. First of all, I saw poor Naomi. Listen, how long has she been coming out with that same entrance and the same dance? I mean, I just, I just feel bad for her. <laughs> and then yeah. Lana, listen, Lana, oh my goodness, listen. We talk about AEW women's division, which has been improving over time. But Lana makes that division look gold. I mean, her work <laughs> along with Billy Kay in this match, I'm watching this going, oh, my God, this is embarrassing. Like, there's so much bad wrestling in this match. Now, of course, we'll go on and talk about it later on. But uh, there was just, like, for example, Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot saved this match, I think. Liv yeah. Morgan is actually really good when you watch her closely. I enjoyed that. Um, by the way, before I ask you guys your thoughts on this match, did um, either of you can jump and answer? 
did your cock buffer at any point here? Because I got a cock buffering and then I got a black screen. Uh, Corey, did that happen to you too? Something might have moved at times during the match, but uh, my feed was okay. Okay. I got, so a, I got a black screen a couple yeah. of times, but I didn't get any any buffering. So the okay. cock stayed where it was. <laughs> All right, so Corey, your thoughts on this match real quick? Uh, it did not need to be 14 minutes. Um, I think the wrong team won. I mean, I feel bad for Mandy Rose, the fact that, you know, it's her big WrestleMania moment, and she almost, you know, broke her, broke her neck, you know, tripping on down the the aisle. Um, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. You know, I mean, and apparently right after that happened, they went and did a wide shot, and they had people, you know, basically take towels and try to, you know, make sure they didn't happen again for the rest for the night. I think AJ almost fell, I think, during his entrance, or he at least was making fun of the idea when, you know, they came down a little bit later on. Um, Ruby Riot and uh, Liv Morgan, like I said, should have won this match. I thought they looked good. I mean, the story that was being told on TV over the last couple of weeks, especially with Talking uh, talking Smack with the uh, segment with Paul Heyman, kind of led to the idea that we knew who was winning with Natalia and Tamina. I have no interest in seeing Tamina and uh, in, a, in a big WrestleMania match ever. I mean, was was the finish okay? Sure, but I think the best match would have been Liv and uh, Ruby on Sunday. And I think we're going to have, you know, a really bad match, and hopefully it's not 14 minutes again. Uh, Sean, your thoughts? I, I don't think it's going to be a bad match. I think that this match is much more so validation for Natalia because of all of the times that she's had a chance to try to get to WrestleMania. It always seemed to be either an injury or she was told she was going to be at the show and then she didn't get used. So I think that that was much more so for Natalia based on the, the previous things that happened to her in there. Um, Tamina looked okay. I, I'm, I'm not, ex I wasn't expecting a whole lot, but I actually just, for me, my own edification, I actually like the dynamic between those two and the story that they're telling that, well, other people have made money off of our names so why don't we just do the same? And I, and I like that dynamic going forward. Whether they win tomorrow is a different story, but I actually like the story that they told just for that. But I, I will agree, the Riot Squad, they really saved this match. They were really good, especially that senton off the ropes. That looked really good. Liv Morgan yeah. has a lot of cool moves. Uh, I just wanted to talk about the finish really quickly because you get the heart attack, which of course is a nod to her, her father and... And I just, the thing about the, if you're doing a classic move like that, the heart attack, now I get the setup to the finish, but think about that. They used to be a finisher and they didn't even go for a pin. There was no cover <laughs> attempt. I mean, in their tag matches, that has been the finisher. And I guess that's just was because it's WrestleMania, they want to do the ode to Jimmy Supply Snooker and right. father who, you know, they shouldn't be doing odes to anything except, you know, figuring out a way to still put him back in jail, you know, for mm. other, other activities, you know. Watch, you know, Dark Side of the Ring coming back, you know, May 6th, I believe it is, but cheap plug for something yeah. that has nothing to do with us. But um, I, like I said, I didn't think it was a very good match. I don't think the match on Sunday is going to be very good. But you're, you're absolutely right that Natalia deserves a WrestleMania moment. But I just don't, and I don't know how many more years she has left in the company. She's given her heart and soul to the women's division. But I think right now, if you wanted to have at least a decent match on night two, Morgan and Riot were the people to at least put in a match with with uh, Shayna. And I think the three of them could have done something to work around 
and just maybe put something that was halfway decent. I just think there's too many bad parts in that match tomorrow that's going to make it a lot more unwatchable if you had the Riot Squad in there that would have just made it at least, you know, a little less of a bantam break. And not because it's a woman's match. Nia Jax doesn't make it unwatchable? Like I said, you had, you would have at least had, you know, one less unwatchable part. Right. Uh, So let's move along here. We get Rollins and Cesaro. And uh, finally, Cesaro gets on the big show. I mean, they made it a, a story how he's finally on. And uh, there were many interesting, like this was good and several good moves in this match. That, I mean, that corkscrew splash by Rollins, holy cow, that was remarkable. Yeah. People forget how good he is sometimes and what he was able to do when he was Tyler Black in Ring of Honor. Obviously, he's been kind of WWE watered down in a, in a sense in terms of his high spots. Uh, that UFO move where he had yeah. him on his on his back without hands, that was incredible. The 23 swings. And uh, this was really good. Um, Corey, what did you think about this? I thought it was an excellent match. It most likely was the best match of the show. But I did have a major problem with the match. The whole entire match for the first half was, how am I going to get Rollins in the swing? And if that's the storyline of the match, the match is stupid. I know that's not hard-hitting journalism here. But if you guys might disagree, but when when your strategy is, how am I going to get Spinagai why do I care? I mean, the, the highlight video, the package leading up telling you that this is Cesaro's first match, you know, first singles match is great. And the idea that, you know, Seth is coming back and what is, what's Seth's future? I mean, on the podcast, both me and Jay both thought that Rollins was going to win because Rollins is the biggest star and you could mostly set up Rollins some point at SummerSlam, you know, facing whoever wins the main event tomorrow night, you know, thinking that the bigger name. But the big thing coming out of this is Cesaro's got to get somewhat of a push and have a world title shot coming out of this. If he just wins this match and this is just a career-defining moment, and this is the reason why they said you're going to win a match at WrestleMania, so please resign so you don't go to AEW, that's not enough. That's great for him, and he got a payday. But if he's only there to get this one win and he's back in the mid-card and happy to have you know random matches with you know Sami Zayn, what, what does it matter? Great match. But if that's all this was, no follow-up, I don't care. John? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we said the same thing about Dolph Ziggler. It was like, well, where is his payoff going to be for all of the matches that he's had? Mm-hmm. At least he can say he's had two world championships, although one was given and the other one was a cash-in. But at least you had that. Cesaro, I believe, is probably one of the most underrated talents in that company. And He's had to subject himself to a lot of garbage for a very long time. Although as a tag team with himself and Sheamus were a very good uh, key moment of his career, going into that match, I thought that, as you're saying, if it's something that's going to be just a one-off, then what was the point? But the one question when I started watching the match is, why is Seth Rollins still buckle-bombing people? That's the first thing that popped into my head. After what he did to Sting, and after what he did this to uh, to uh, Finn Balor with those buckle bombs, and we've seen him injure folks with that move, and I thought some time ago that this was a move that was somewhat banned. To see it show up again, and luckily uh, Cesaro was able to survive it, I'm, that kind of made me jump back in the match. But I was able to get back in it. There was the... The, the attempt at the neutralizer where he went for the power bomb 
and then it got reversed, and then it went into the tilt the world, and then the tilt the world got reversed into the neutralizer, and it got the two count. There was a lot of good chain reversal wrestling in this match. Yes. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Reminded me of a Ring of Honor match. It was very well paced. It was well timed out, and as you said before, as long as it didn't go into the swing for 500 million swings, I think they did 23, and then he went for the neutralizer and won the match. It was still, I thought, a very good match. But look, we shouldn't give them too much credit in terms of their long-term storyline and booking plan here. We should just be happy that Cesaro got a WrestleMania moment. You know what I mean? I mean, and that's, the sad, that's the saddest indictment, though. That is really sad. <laughs> yeah, so uh, moving along, listen... They showed what happened on SmackDown in terms of the uh, Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Then they showed Rude and Ziggler retaining the tag team titles. And I really felt bad because the next segment was Rude and Ziggler backstage being interviewed on how they thought about the next match with AJ Styles and Omos. And I'm sitting there going, think about these two guys. They're the tag champions. And I just thought it was rather insulting to be asking them what they think about the upcoming match instead of them being on the card. It's brutal. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have any brutal. thoughts on that. I, th I think that going forward, uh, they have to find a way to actually have all of their championships defended in WrestleMania. I, that's the, that, us looking at WrestleMania, and this is supposed to be the biggest card, all of your championships are supposed to be important and defended. And I thought that they dropped the ball with that one, you know? Yeah, but, th but that's how you have nine-hour shows. And unless you're – and then if you have that, unless you're putting a title on Cesaro or Seth Rollins, which either one of them deserves to be a champion, that match is not going to be on the show. And, you know, thank God you wouldn't have, you know, Braun Strowman versus Shane McMahon. But, you know, you're not going to have specialty, you know, quote-unquote at times dream matches if all of your champions have to be on the card. You know, so, I mean, every once in a while, a title match will either be – headline a specialty show like be the the big match the night after wrestlemania or you know a key match the night before you know the, the smackdown before i mean if it's two things you want to say that the way it was handled on smackdown wasn't anything special that's one thing but the idea that every title has to be defended i think it depends on if something's hot or if it's really doing something that's lighting up the world that it needs to be there like the idea of both women's uh, title you know every women's title being defended like, you know, these women's uh, tag team titles, there's no, they don't have to be defended at WrestleMania. And it's nothing against women's wrestling, which I love women's wrestling, but the idea that they're going to be defended, you know, tomorrow night, they don't need to be defended, you know? Especially the fact that the people who are to have them aren't in a high enough feud that anybody should care about. And that's the right, that's the bookers and the writers' faults. That's, that's, that's what we used to look at at WrestleMania, and this is just for me. There was a time when WrestleMania used to start at four in the afternoon on a Sunday, but because of the WCW rivalry and a lot of the way pay-per-views evolved from that rivalry, pay-per-views started going on later, seven o'clock, going from seven to 10 or seven to 11. So you used to be able to say, I have a four hour WrestleMania starting at four, ending at about eight. And then you didn't have that long, oh, it's ending it. What 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 was it last year's WrestleMania, two years ago, WrestleMania? Five and a half hours. Well, Five combined with the pre-show, seven and seven and a half. Exactly. That can't happen again. So they're, they're doing this, breaking it up now. But I think next year, they, they, they I've heard that they're going to go back to the one night show. I'm not sure if this is a permanent thing or not. They should, because... 
I don't, I mean, I guess if, if you're going on the fact that you're going to have a bunch of matches and then you're going to have a main event on each night to make it look like they're two separate shows in a, inside of an umbrella, then that, that kind of makes sense. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes you just have to, you have to realize we're watching WWE. So you have to just go, okay, I know what I'm watching. Yeah. So moving along, we got the tag team titles that I just referenced with uh, Rudin Ziggler talking about. We get the New Day against AJ and the debuting almost. And the thing is, all right, listen, I, again, this is me nitpicking here because I understand this is a tag team title match. But when you think about AJ Styles' career and everything he's done in this business and to stick him in this situation, I don't want to say he's disrespectful or insulting. Now, I know he tried to get the Triple H match and Triple H said he couldn't do it right now, but I just feel like you could do something more with AJ, albeit, yes, tag team title match. So just talking about this match in general, there wasn't a lot for me here in this match. Uh, the one thing that bothered me the most is that they work on AJ half the match, right? And isn't he the heel? Isn't he an almost the heel? And then AJ gets the hot tag to a heel. I'm like, what yeah. am I watching here? And then, oh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The thoughts on the rest of the match. Corey, what do you think of it? Uh, well, a couple of things. One, shortest match on the card, just under 10 minutes long. Um, I think that it was very interesting, like you said, that the New Day, who have been baby faces pretty much the whole entire year, and for the majority, besides the very beginning of their run in the company, uh, I thought it was a nice touch, uh, the interaction they had all night with Big E. You know, the once one or two times a year, they'll come back together on big events and show that they're still, even though they're not on the same show, they're still a cohesive unit. Um, I thought AJ did a good job, especially in a weird situation that all of a sudden he was playing a babyface when they've been a heel team. I thought almost in the limited action, I thought he looked dominant. I don't know if it was a star-making performance by any stretch, but... In the limited amount of stuff that he had to do, I didn't see any botches. I think everything looked crisp. More he does, I think the better he'll get. I'm not really sure where this goes, if this is the typical thing where Amis gets too big for his britches and it turns into AJ versus Amis at some point, or there's a turn. I mean, like you said, AJ wanted the Triple H match just like the year before or two years ago, where he kept on going and trying to get the Undertaker match, which he got. I think it shows a lot and how much they trust AJ that they put him with Amis for this situation. And I think it's one of those things where it was just right place, right time that most likely this would have been, you know, Hurt Locker, Hurt, I'm going to say that 400 times, Hurt, Hurt Business versus- Is that a good movie? Amis. Did you enjoy that movie? Apparently you did. <laughs> Apparently I'm a big fan of, uh, of Renner, apparently. Um, <laughs> but I think it was the idea that if, if the Hurt Business weren't, heels and if Vince actually decided he wanted to do things long term and not decide to change his mind a week before the pay, you know the biggest pay-per-view of the year and split them up I think it would have been you know her business versus AJ and Almas but you can't have two heel teams facing each other so they went with you know New Day in this role so I mean I don't think it was a spectacular match I think everything worked out all right and I think Almas in the limited amount he had to do looked good and I think that's all you could ask for and I, I think it could be really interesting to see how much they have him do week after week and where this goes. If it's just going to be AJ doing everything in a hot tag and then Amis just kills people, if they slowly become baby faces or where this goes, if it was like a one night thing with the new day playing the heels in order to make Amis look even better than he was. 
Sean, what stood out for you in this match, if anything? What stood out for me was there was a spot in the match where the, I believe it was uh, Kofi Kingston went for a side headlock after they were trying to go for some rest holes to kind of draw some drama in. And I heard a faint spattering of boring chants. Oh, wow. There was a spot somewhere in that. When you go back and look at it again, hmm. then they sounded like they were chanting boring. But you're allowed to rewind? Uh, uh, but you're allowed to rewind? I didn't know that was possible. Well, yeah, I guess you're going to have to watch it again. As opposed right, right. To since apparently Peacock doesn't have that yet until, what, July? Um, hey, yeah, respect but, the cops. <laughs> uh, and that part was good. But then, like you said, the hot tag and almost – and it seems like they don't know whether it's almost or almost or almost. They don't even it's know something. how to pronounce the man's name because it changes during the entire broadcast. Right, right. Um, as soon as he got in there, as you did say, he looked absolutely monster heelish. He he was throwing people around left and right. Then it was the spot at the end where AJ jumped off the ropes, then jumped off from almost and uh, caught. I think it was Kofi with the phenomenal form. Right. And then they were able to get the the, the win afterwards. That that was as dominant a rookie debut for somebody his size to look. He looked really dominant. He didn't look like, oh, he's a rookie. He, he didn't look like... Giant Gonzalez? He didn't look like Giant Gonzalez. <laughs> he didn't look that bad. He, he actually, they protected him well. All the weeks going in, going into this match, he looked pretty pretty good. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing him in the future, what they do with him. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, again, we'll see. WWE, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> Moving along, we get this cage match next, which I was not looking forward to at all. Shane and Strowman. And uh, we, there was a, a bit of a jump start here. You get Elias and Riker destroying Strowman with chair shots, which makes sense because if you're thinking about this going in, you're like, how is Shane going to be able to hang with this, this guy? This guy's a monster. You should kill Shane immediately. So from the Especially booking, they bill him at 385 pounds. Right. From the booking aspect, I thought this was smart to have those guys jump him to put him at a slight disadvantage. And then as the match built, I thought it was better than I anticipated being. So I was okay with it. And then, of course, you get the, the crazy bump by Shane off the top of the cage. His Mick Foley moment again. That's what he, mm. I think. Shane in another lifetime would have been a great hardcore death match guy. Like he would have loved to work that style. Like, <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, uh, Sean, what are your thoughts on this match? I, I actually thought it was it was uh, it was to what you would have expected a little bit better. Uh, the, there's a spot where they went to the top of the cage, and then Shane pulled out what looked like a toolbox. And, yeah. it, and, and cracked uh, Braun over the head with it, and then he looked like there was there was one part that was really stupid, and I think you know where I'm going with this. As Shane looks like he's about to leave the cage, mm-hmm. his hand he goes in and he waves bye 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 bye. I'm leaving the cage, which of course Braun then gets up, grabs his hand, climbs to the cage, and then rips the cage down. Uh, and that made no sense to yank him back into the cage and then go throw him to the top to do what he did for later on. That what made no sense, but it falls into the narrative of what they've been doing with Braun. This is the same guy that what a year and a half ago was flipping over ambulances. Right. This is the same guy that was throwing people all over the place. Like they were nothing. 
and just last year main evented night one of WrestleMania and won a championship. And this year, the same guy that won a tag team championship with a 10-year-old. And this is what you're doing <laughs> right. with him now. This makes no sense of how they book him. They don't know whether they want to really push him or just sort of push him. Oh, he's invincible today, but we'll make him more human today, tomorrow. It, it, you have to come up with a plan. You can't, you can't dilly-dally on it. And that's what hurt him a lot in this going forward. It, it, it was silly. Corey, what would you think? I think this was the most ugly. I know the women. I said the women's match was trash. Right. This was most. I think this was the worst match on the on the card easily. At, at least I think the women worked hard. I think this was sloppy, really bad. I, I thought it was most of it was unwatchable. I don't know how this match and this is of course everyone's clock is different. How this actually was a second longer than Cesaro versus Seth. This match clocked in apparently at eleven minutes and twenty eight seconds. Match was longer than the tag team title match. It was longer than Cesaro versus uh, uh, Seth Rollins. There's no reason why this match had to be on the show to begin with. I mean, I'll be the first one to say there's very few Shane, Shane McMahon matches that I like. I've liked maybe a handful of Braun Strowman matches over the last, you know, eight or nine years. I mean, I liked early Braun when they pulled him out as a monster, when, it, you know, the early matches, him and Roman, where they were just basically killing each other and superhuman strength stuff. I thought those were actually done well. The idea of this whole entire match was built as one guy, he's a dummy or he's not a dummy, and I'm doing this for the, you know, the, so nobody is a dummy. I mean, yeah, it's so stupid. The I mean. building of this thing was just trash. Yeah. These type of matches don't do anything for me. I just, it did nothing for me. Maybe this was, maybe on a rewatch and, you know, with my eyes not starting to fall asleep with the 45 minute delay, maybe I'll reappreciate it and look at it a little bit better eyes than Sean did. But I thought this match was the worst match on the show easily. No, but, and but Corey, again, it'll be way too soon. But Corey, here's the thing, though. It's not about us liking it. I don't. I didn't love the match or like it. I just didn't think it was as bad as it could have been. I think it could have been a lot worse, despite you saying you hated it. But this could have been even worse. And the the most ridiculous part at the end was when Strowman looks at the camera and goes, "This is for everyone you ever called stupid." <laughs> it's just like, what? This is for all the independent guys that you you know you think. Uh, should just be happy to have a job during a pandemic. Yeah, he's a real yeah, was, winner. I mean, look, again, WWE, it's – nothing's really it's, – it's WWE. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Like before, before the match, was he a face or was he a heel? Because he went in as a heel, and then they kind of turned him face based on the fact that Shane was bullying him. So they, now they he's bullying the bully in the main in, – in the, at, at the card at WrestleMania. So – wasn't what was the point of the feud? Wasn't he, wasn't he bullying him, Adam Pierce, uh, like a month earlier? I mean, it's yeah, it makes no sense, which uh, Chris put yeah. very, very succinctly earlier. But just one thing I wanted to say about this, and this is actually something I will give them that give WWE credit, uh, on this show. I think the way that they booked this show is actually done pretty well, where they had a hot match with the Bobby Lashley, uh, Drew McIntyre, then they slowed us down a little bit with the uh, the women's uh, uh gauntlet match. Brought us back up again with Cesaro. An okay match with the Styles match. They brought us back down with the Strowman match. And I don't think they ever expected it to be as good as it was when they brought us back up with this Bad Bunny, you know, tag team match. And then we had the main event, which we'll get to, of course, in a few minutes. But I think the way they paced the show, the ups and downs, I think, really work. I mean, I know that if you want a great show, every match to be, you know, like a takeover night one where everything is just spectacular. But I think they... 
and the idea of I know the bathroom break or whatever, but you were able to go and get your energy up, and especially with the crowd, I think was able to go and pace themselves. So, I, and I don't think the, the crowd ever really just went and died as a result of it because they they were able to go be like, all right, this is really good, this is really bad, I can just you know relax. This is the host of the Morton's Law podcast, Christopher Morton, saying thank you everybody who checked out this episode on YouTube. Of course, I'm uploading it now for Anchor and all the major platforms at this time. Going to take a quick break so I can make a few dimes that I do on this podcast. Also, please, I ask of you, please support the podcast. Please donate if you can. I appreciate your kindness and support. And we'll be back right after this. I'm moving along. I have a question. If either one of you know, uh, just speak up. Is Bailey hurt or are they just doing dumb stuff with her right now because they just feel like it's her time to take a backseat? She's definitely not. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think she's hurt at all. I just think they didn't have anything uh, programmed for her. And that's a problem because she should have been on the card doing something other than, you know, being a wannabe interviewer, NWO type, or whatever she was trying to accomplish. I mean, Sorry, I, what do you know? She's, she's definitely not hurt. I mean, I think that there is, could be some big things planned for night two involving uh, someone who's been off of TV for almost a year, may or may not have, you know, recently gave birth to a child. Um, maybe some interaction with her, you know, tomorrow night. Um, maybe Irish last kicker, maybe. One or two things. By the, way, the fact but, that uh, Rollins could get anybody pregnant is beyond me. I just don't know how that's possible. Maybe, maybe he just uh, gave her a falcon arrow and called it a day, you know? <laughs> I guess his arrow, uh, every once in a while, goes straight up. Um Boom, boom. <laughs> but I, I do think she, she's healthy. I mean, she had an interview with uh, Renee Paquette, uh, I believe it was about a week and a half ago, where she says she's healthy and uh, she doesn't know why, you know, things didn't work out in regards to the Sasha Banks uh, program, where I think most people at the middle of the year thought that there was a good chance that Sasha versus Bailey was going to be the main event for one of the nights of WrestleMania because it was the hottest feud in the company at right. about the halfway point of the year. Yeah. And it basically, I mean, and the way things went tonight, we could disagree or agree. I think it worked out what they did tonight with Bianca Belair. I think it was the right decision. We can get that in, in a moment or so. But it is amazing that she didn't do anything. And I'm expecting most likely either night two or next week's SmackDown. I think she'll have a huge impact setting up maybe the next challenger for Bianca or like setting up something returning, you know, no longer pregnant Becky Lynch. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think his, when I thought about this, his would bother me most. When you think about Bailey's career or recent time and what she's done in this company and making her, I don't want to say she looked like a fool tonight, but she just looked out of place. They would never do something like this with Charlotte. So that's what I thought. I was like, I didn't like the way they did this to her. And I think she rolls with the punches, though. I think she, she's a company person. And I think she's making the best of, of, out of maybe not a great situation. And I think that a lot of people, the average fan, think she's funny and the skits she's doing on SmackDown are working for the non-smart marks that, you know, I'll say that we are, you know, to a certain respect. Yeah. I think, a, I think a lot of people look at Bailey and they see that they love how she has evolved her character from Absolutely. when she was in NXT to, you know, huggy, huggy, huggy to what she's become today. And that long reign as champion in, on SmackDown, really solidified her as a bona fide star. Mm-hmm. So they want to concede it. The, the, the fans, the everyday fan that follows the company and follows her, they want to see her continue on that mark. 
to make sure that she's continuing to be uh, featured in matches and feuds that further bring some realism to that character instead of the goofy sports entertainment stuff that we're used to seeing. All right, guys, I want to move along here. I just had one quick thought. I mean, I, I don't really want to spend time on this, but uh, when I saw the Hall of Fame and everybody brought out on the stage, uh, I thought this, Scott Hall doesn't look a day over 70. <laughs> I mean, that that's a hell of a life, right? Yeah. <laughs> when you can somehow look older than Jake Roberts. <laughs> mm. Wow. <laughs> wow. But hey, it, God bless him. He's he's gone through a lot, and the fact that he's on the other side, yeah. I got to give it to him. Right. If you had either guy in a death pool twenty years ago, right? Think about that. Scott Hall and Jake Roberts, and they survived how many people? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I'm gonna burn That's in hell, cool. but I'll bring the beers. Oh, good grief. All right, moving along. Uh, so we get Bad Bunny and, of course, Damian Priest against Miz and Morrison. Uh, here's, here's a quick couple of thoughts I had. You see, we get Miz and Morrison. Well, first, the bunnies come to the ring. And my initial thought was, which one of those bunnies was from the Rosebuds? Uh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Braun Strowman was doing double, double duty then, huh? Yeah, <laughs> right. So then we get, of course, the, the huge entrance for Bad Bunny, and then Priest comes out. And, oh, by the way, this is when my cock buffered again. Did anyone have this problem again at that point? No. <laughs> no? Everything okay. was fine on, uh, on my end. So then early on, we get, we get a Let's Go Bunny chant, which was great. And then, here's all right, coming into this match, there was a lot of speculation, a lot of stuff. I don't know what you guys heard, but they say the, the reason why they decided to go with a tag team match was because Bunny perhaps wasn't ready to carry a match, but on his own. However, well, while he was training at the PC, by the way, <laughs> by the way, a, a real side bit here, the fact that he was training at the beast PC along with Keith Lee and the rest of the guys in the catering squad, mm. <laughs> by the way, remember the old job squad? Should they come out as the catering squad and start yeah. jumping? <laughs> That'd be good, right? Oh, that is sad. <laughs> So the, the thing here is that Bunny was more than respectable. First of all, he worked like 75% of the match. He did so many things. I'll let you guys jump in here and tell me your thoughts. Uh, Corey, what did you think? I was, I was amazed on how good uh, Bad Bunny was in this. Um, I'll be the first one to say I'm not a fan of his music. Before, you know, Royal Rumble or whatever it was, I had no idea, honestly, who Bad Bunny was. I wasn't expecting anything in this. Um, I, I was really impressed. I expected, you know, Bad Bunny to be, you know, in the match for, you know, like three minutes. And this was going to be a showcase for Damian Priest, which I kind of feel bad for Damian Priest, the fact that he didn't get more time in the match. But you know what? He's going to – and I also feel bad for well, – I, I, you never feel bad for Vince McMahon, but due to the fact that this event was, you know, 35 minutes or 40 minutes with the rain delay, I don't know how much of this stuff is going to wind up on, you know, Sports Center for the, for the major reasons why you have Bad Bunny in the, there in the first place is to get on SportsCenter or ET or different things. And with the delay, it may not get on there. So those type of things may not happen. But I thought they worked really well together. I thought Bad Bunny, as much as everybody, sh you know, shits on uh, shits on The Miz, I thought The Miz was the per perfect person to do this stuff with the ba with Bad Bunny because The Miz basically has no, reput no reputation with wrestling fans to begin with because, you know, 95% of them hate him to begin with. And for someone to make bad, you know, to basically do put Bad Bunny over, he was the right guy to do it. And I thought that 
Morrison looked good in his limited stuff. I thought that, you know, Bad Bunny showed that he respected the business. I thought commentary on the match was, you know, was pretty awful. I mean, commentary for the most part all night wasn't great. But, I mean, I thought overall, I think the match over, overproduced. But maybe it was maybe three or four minutes too long. Did it need to be 15 minutes? Could have you taken, like, three or four minutes off of this match and added it to, you know, Cesaro versus Seth Rollins? Sure. But for what it gave us, it overproduced mightily. And I think it's, you know, maybe the third or fourth best match on the show. Now, Sean, Sean, before you jump in here, I just wanted to go over some of the moves that Bad Bunny hit. Maybe you can elaborate on the shock of these moves. First, he hits... First, he hits a head scissor with multiple revolutions, which is something like you would see from Rey Mysterio or, or uh, Amazing Red. Then he mm. hits a tornado DDT. Then he hits what they call the bunny destroyer. And, of course, the crossbody to get the win. Sean, your thoughts on all that? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're also forgetting the arm drag into La, La Maestral initially right. when he first started, which was insane. I'm like, wait a minute. Somebody's teaching this guy something. And then all of a sudden, the next movement, and the next movement, Wait a minute. This isn't Jay Leno wrestling on the road wild at WCW. He actually <laughs> looks like he was taking his craft seriously. Next and he, yeah, he he sold well. He he looked like he was trying to compete. He looked well trying to go for the tag. He took a beating in the match. He, he looks like somebody who has trained for like a year. And then has finally gotten his first opportunity. That's what he looks like. Now, I don't think he's obviously got that much training, but he's gotten enough to look good enough where he was protected and able to get a majority of the offense. And I was thoroughly shocked at how good the match was. And then there was a spot toward the end of the match where he got in and he threw Damian Priest out of the ring into, I think it was like a plancha. And yeah. then he went to the top rope and he did the plancha himself. Right, I right. was thoroughly impressed by it. Uh, the the move set the work rate and the fact is what Corey said is right I, I didn't I I wish that priest could have gotten a little more time in the ring because this was supposed to be a vehicle for him coming from NXT but I think this was much more so for the shot value of having a star a recording artist especially in the Latin American community the Hispanic community where wrestling is a huge demographic that's what they were looking for. And I think that's what they got. Well, just from what I had heard, and apparently people were wrong, whoever speculated the fact that they were trying to protect him and why they added Priest and Morrison to make this attack. But then they put him out there for 80% of the match and he proved everybody wrong, whatever they thought about him. So you would think Bunny was out there to protect Priest the way that they had him right. in the match. And, and then on top of it, so that makes you think, okay, well then clearly they just wanted to get Priest and Morrison a payday. So that's why they put them in the match. If, I don't know. Who knows what they were thinking? Only thing I just want to ask quickly. I know we have to move on, but do you think that Priest got anything out of this match? I know you're he's there with a the celebrity and maybe helps his his credibility with the Latin community. But does he the, the former Punisher Martinez, who was really good in ROH and had an okay run at best in NXT, did he get anything out of this match besides like saying he was the bodyguard for a celebrity? Because I personally don't think he was in the match long enough. I don't think he really did much. I mean, he had one nice dive. You know, he kicked out of the, um, I don't know if he, if he did kick out of, you know, Miz's finisher. It's called oh, right. finale. Yeah, did he yeah. get anything out of this match? I don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, no. 
But like when you think about guys, I'm sorry, Sean, when you think about guys like him who come from Ring of Honor and the independent circuit and the fact that he's even on this show so early in his main roster career versus the aforementioned Keith Lee and other guys who had even maybe more success at NXT, that just says a lot in what they think of him going forward. And maybe he will be in a bigger picture. Yeah. And you team him up with a, with a celebrity in that high, because this was a high profile match. So this wasn't, even though you can think what you want of the Miz, he wrestles safe, he wrestles born, whatever the arguments are. He was in a high enough spot as far as profile of where that match was, that it would give the rub to Damian Priest to get him a little bit of, a little bit of notoriety, a little bit of attention, but we all know where the real attention went to in the match, which is, you know, this is this is McMahon. He's all about. He's not in the wrestling business anymore. He's in this entertainment business. So that's where that. Went. Well, for the foreseeable future, that is. <laughs> we we don't know how yeah. much time he has left. So uh, let's just move on to the main event, and we talked about it in terms of match placement. And listen, this delivered Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. It was uh, here's the thing though. The funny part is that as as Banks enters, Cole says the following. She could be considered the best ever. And I thought to myself, okay, you're just saying that until the next time Charlotte Flair walks the aisle, right, Cole? <laughs> I mean, it's funny how they overplay everything. Like they said, the New Day are the greatest tag team champions in the history of the or the greatest tag team ever. And I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> just because they won the title 11 times doesn't make them the greatest tag team. And yeah. uh, But listen, the, oh, by the way, how much makeup was Sasha Banks wearing tonight? Did you see her face? I was like, it didn't look like her. Who is that? It, it, she, she is on both sides of the cheeks and the sides of the face. It's like, wow. And then as the match went on, it started mm-hmm. to fade away. It almost started to look like a map. The way it was starting to run down the side of her face. I'm like, well, that's a little bit much. There's a few of those women. Even Kayla Braxton backstage, she she had like a pound of makeup on her face. I'm like, what are they doing, these women? It's incredible. But we, so, but we know Vince McMahon is one of those type of people that has to have all of the women in his company that are on television always wearing a lot of makeup. And that's something that I've noticed for a long, long time. By the way, just so everybody knows at home, those watching us, we didn't have makeup put on before the show. I don't know if we needed it or not, but I chose not to go with it. Corey, I did you want makeup? So. I, I didn't need to. <laughs> I haven't changed in a couple of days. <laughs> it's in my contract that I always have to have makeup on. Uh, okay. Let's go around this match. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I thought this was a really good match. I think this is higher end of any women's match in res- you know, in WrestleMania history. I think it's got to go down as one of the top two or three. I mean, this is definitely better than the three-way match we had a couple of years ago with Charlotte, Ronda, and Becky Lynch. I mean, yeah, is the yeah. Becky Lynch win a bigger win in the history of, you know, in history, most likely? I mean, this one might be bigger culturally because you had two, yes. you know, strong African-American female participants and where our country is. I know I've said that more than once, especially with Bobby Lashley. But I think that, especially with the way the match ended, I thought it was really strong. I think you saw some of the nerves early with Bianca and was it a perfect match? No. But I think as the match went along, I think you saw what the company sees in Bianca Belair. And I think they had the perfect opponent in there for her and Sasha because I think Sasha's better than Charlotte. And I think if you want to say that Sasha Banks is most likely, at least on the main roster, the best female performer they've had, maybe not the most you know, physically talented, maybe not, 
But I think you can say that Sasha Banks might be the best performer they have. I think like the best actual performer in the company is mostly right now is Io Shirai. But I think that Sa Sasha is on a level of consistency where she was the right person at the right time to help Bianca get to that next level. And it's going to be interesting to see what Bianca can do now that she's no longer the plucky underdog who's going for the title and how she reacts as champion as she's got to go and put on those matches with maybe returning Becky, Becky Lynch or a Bailey or, you know, where she's got to go and be the person who's dominating and the people who are not as good as her, like a Carmella or Dana, oh God, Dana Brooke or someone of that aspect mm -hmm. where, you know, she's, she's not the person who's being led through a match. She's got to actually be the A person in the match, you know? Yeah, when yeah, she starts calling her own spots, I think that's when you start realizing she's made it. And she I don't think she's really done that yet. Right. Sean, before you get into your thoughts, I just wanted to go over a couple of things that happened. Maybe you can piggyback off of this. The starters, the incredible strength that Bianca Belair showed in this oh, match. Yeah. The one spot where she picks up Belair, excuse me, Sasha Banks in a press slam and then walks up the stairs with her and throws her into the ring. And there were multiple other spots with her strength and just incredible things that she's capable of doing. There are multiple good exchanges. I thought I thought Belair had incredible emotions and facials during the match. Facials, especially when she didn't get that one pin and she reacted. And then yeah. I just love that finish. Sean, what did you think? Yes, it was it was brilliant. The the other move that that showcased her strength was the multiple attempts at slingshot suplexes where she went to each rope and held her in the air and then went to the next, went to the third. She went it, she did it the fourth time. And Sasha tried to fight through it, and then she picked her up, and then tried to put her in the KOD, and then it got reversed. So yes. that was that was brilliant. But the, the the facial expressions, you're right, they were dead on. She went for that 450 splash the first time, and she caught the knees to the ribs. She did it again. She got it, and then was able to uh, didn't get the three count. And the look on her face was like mm. panic, like right, oh my right. god, like. Uh, I thought she was going to just break down and start crying because of how when she first got in the ring, she was emotional. And that played on what McMahon looks for when you have a main event. The emotion and the storytelling within the match was perfect. And I think that although there were some points that you could probably think of could have been done a little bit better, the overall pacing of the match was really good. The attitude that they both had starting with the, 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 the collar and elbow, pushing each other, slapping each other. That was perfect. And that built into the pace of the match throughout. And I think that that was absolutely brilliant. And, and for me, this was the match that felt most like a WrestleMania match, more than any other match on the card, because of that emotion and the story that they told in the match with all of the physicality that went in as well. How about the reaction of the crowd when she used her hair as the whip? That was incredible. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yes. And the sound of that head, they, yeah. I don't know if they added it or whatever was the case, it was perfect. It and popped, it, right. It, it really, really got the crowd popped. It, they were, what? <laughs> oh, man. And, and the entire exchange to get that finish was incredible. So well done, the way they worked that last 20 seconds to get the finish. And yes. I got to ask both of you, because I'm sure you heard this, and I don't know what happened because I would want to believe that Michael Cole knew when the finish was coming and that Vince wouldn't do that to him. But Cole thought Sasha Banks kicked out. What the hell happened, Corey? I think that's once again, I think that was mostly a timing issue, most likely, uh, where he may have thought the ending was coming maybe 
in another sequence. And that's maybe where it came from. Cause I mean, so much stuff is mostly be, is happening and it's just a slip up. And like I said earlier, that if you notice the only person who was on every match on that show was Michael Cole. And, and this right. wasn't exactly a stellar night for Michael Cole. Michael Cole made a lot of mistakes tonight. Mm -hmm. um, I had one question for you guys and I found this very interesting. We've had in the last, what, maybe six weeks, three really good women's matches. We had Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker on, mm -hmm. on, on uh, AW. We had uh, earlier this week on TakeOver Night One, we had Raquel Gonzalez versus Io Shirai, and we had the Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair. How would you rank the three? I mean, I personally, I think I put the Thunder Rosa match first. I put this match second, and then I put the uh, the TakeOver match third. And I'm not saying any of them was bad, but I was wondering what your guys thought was. I know recency bias, maybe this, because you just saw it 10 minutes ago, or an hour ago, I guess now. Maybe you say this is first, but what, I was wondering what your guys' opinion is. Well, I, I would put this first slightly over the Britt Baker. As good as that match was, I didn't like the ending in terms of like the indie garbage stuff with the thumbtacks. Although, like if they would have, I'll give you an example. If they would have done a similar match to what we saw from Colin O'Reilly in terms of not going garbage, but giving us an 80s brawl-esque, then the finish to that would have been better. But this was slightly Well, yeah, the match, of course, was ridiculously long. We talked about that. But uh, Sean, what would you put first? I would probably, now that I'm sitting down thinking about it, I would probably put that um, the match we saw today, not not being a prisoner of the moment, right, but right. tonight's match was one. And then I would probably say the Thunder Rosa match second. Now, the Io e. Shirai, uh, Raquel Gonzalez match was a great match. You think I really so? Enjoyed... I thought it was just a match. I'm sorry to cut you off, Sean. And, and Corey, mm. I'm sorry to, to, to disagree, but... I thought it was just a match. I, thought, I don't think they did anything spectacular in that match at all that would warrant it being considered a great match. That's just my two cents. Well, I think, I, well, I'm sorry to, uh, to stop you there, Sean, for a second. I think the idea that they helped make Raquel a star, and I think they, I think they made her a star in the match because, you know, it's been put books so strong. I think it helps build that matchmaking maybe more than it was on paper. And I think maybe I look at that and the idea that they, the building of progression of her and it was the idea of how she became, or the, the final piece of the puzzle, I think maybe helps that match. And I think that, and that just that whole entire night from everything that would happen with Ciampa and however you want to pronounce it, Walter, or how it's correctly pronounced. I just think oh. that night just, yes, that night just melds into a great show altogether. Maybe I'm slightly jaded by it, but um, I thought that was a really good match. And I thought it was a, a defining moment in Raquel's, you know, career so far maybe that's why i look at it a little bit higher but yeah but there was i would think point, definitely number three of the three yeah there was a point that chris made to me a couple of days ago when one after watching it was that when gonzalez won the match she almost looked like a face the way she celebrated and yeah. i didn't think about it until i i watched it again and I'm like you know what you got a point there so that's a good point by Chris. And, and, and other than that, instead of her just staring everybody down and mean mugging everybody like Clubber right. Lang and Rocky Three, which is probably what she should have done. Um, yeah. Other than that, uh, that was uh, it was an interesting point to bring up. But overall, yeah. I think that these matches, these these three matches, are, it shows you the evolution of where women's wrestling has gotten, where the, the companies can trust them 
to not only have high profile matches, but actually main event shows. Uh, Corey, you had something else to say? Oh, yeah, I guess the last thing on that, on that topic, and this is not as, try and make this not a sexist remark, but have you seen, can you really name any time when a female performer has won a major title where they don't either break down crying or they don't show the unexpected, that unexpected emotion that babyface or heel? I mean, I'm not saying men are tougher or, you know, hide their emotion better, but if you look at pretty much any time, especially in NXT or WWE, Whenever, besides, I think with like when Tessa Blanchard, actually, even when I think with Tessa Blanchard, well, the t- world title in Impact, pretty much every time a female performer wins a title, they break down and cry, or there's just release of emotion that you would even think as a badass heel, you shouldn't do it. It's just I don't know if it's you know just that emotion comes out of you know women being sometimes more sensitive than men. There's never usually that hard ass feel of when a title is won usually by female performers. So, I mean, but that's a, that's on the agent. And then of course the promoter to say, don't do that. Cause yeah, now but I think it's like just a the moment of it just happens that sometimes those, you know, of that defining moments just can't help it. And I mean, okay, I, guess, yeah, I don't but, know if it's just something that's got to be taught better, but I mean, right. But then that's when you have the moment, okay, we're going to ban the leg slap. We're also going to ban our heels from acting like faces when they win a title. That's it. It's, it's <laughs> on the wall before you go through the curtain at gorilla. And then, of course, apparently they forget about it once the match starts. Yeah, so right, it, it right. Is, it's all relevant. <laughs> right. So, okay, let's just do this really quickly without uh, giving too much. On a scale of 1 to 10, Sean, what'd you give this uh, overall pay-per-view? So far, night one out of a between 10 being the highest, I would probably give this a solid 7. I think okay. it was actually pretty good. It wasn't great by any means, but there were a couple of really good matches and one really stellar match. That's what I think. It was a solid I, seven. I won't expound on that. I'll just agree with your seven, Corey. Uh, I would say somewhere between a seven and a seven and a half. I think it's a pretty, pretty good grade for it. I thought there was one terrible match, one halfway terrible match, and two to three really good matches. I mean, I think storytelling and build pre-show – I think hurts some of the some of the matches that turned out to be better, and I think the I think that Bad Bunny overachieving really mm-hmm. helps to show that I really wasn't expecting much from to begin with. So I overexpected, so that's why I'm giving you know about a seven seven and a half. So very much pleased, but if I, if I don't ever have to see Braun Strowman or right. you know some of these women again, I'll be happy. Um, before we go, I just wanted to give you guys ninety seconds each on instead of going down the whole card of tomorrow, 90 seconds of what you think about tomorrow, what may stand out for you, what you anticipate. Corey, 90 seconds. Wow, clocks have never been a good thing for me, but I'm really looking forward to the universal title match. I think that any of the three men can win that match. I would keep the title on Roman Reigns, but if if uh, Edge wins or Daniel Bryan, I don't think it's a bad decision. I think the women's title match could be very good. I think it's to make it the best of a bad situation. I think Rhea Ripley will win. I just think they've really killed Oscar's momentum over the last year. And it would make no sense for her to win after being such a bad champion. And just like Strowman, I do the fact I'm not doing an after show this time around. I don't think I'm watching uh, Randy Orton and The Fiend because that has been one of the worst feuds in history. And if the fans don't crap on that, I am going to be super surprised. <laughs> Sean? Ah, uh, where do I start? Um, the, the, the Universal Championship match, I'm expecting to be the mania match that they build it to, especially the way that they actually built that card up 
for that particular match as the main event for the entire show. Uh, Asuka, I don't like what they've done with her, and I don't like how they brought Rhea Ripley into the feud because they just brought her in all of a sudden. Oh, she's going to get a title match. First show on, that that makes no sense to me. Uh, The women's tag team championship match, kind of, sort of, we'll see how it works. break. Yeah, I guess that's what could happen. And I think this, the Biggie and and uh, Apollo Crews match, what is it, a Nigerian drama? I just, <laughs> what are they doing with this? It sounds like something that you would see on Robot Chicken. I'm wait, Sean, Sean, you can continue your thought in a second, though. Explain something to me. Apollo Crews has been in the company for how long, and now all of a sudden he has an accent? Five <laughs> years, and now all of a sudden he's Nigerian. Right. I, I, I don't know. I have to win the match. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. If you started him with the accent, maybe. Right, right. But you don't grow an accent five years after you were there. Wait, I Sean, they did the opposite of Kofi Kingston. He started exactly. with the accent. He lost it somewhere. <laughs> He's already lost six times, six title matches. And I, mean, I fully expect him to win. But it's, it's I'm sorry to interrupt your time here. But it's very hard to actually care about. And like I said, I think they'll have a good match. It's very hard to care about a feud and a match when a guy's lost six straight title matches and you're supposed to care about the seventh opportunity. That's just yeah, me. I can understand that. And I think that I think Big E showed on SmackDown that he does have a serious side to his character that they want to bring out, which is very good. So I like that they, they had him out with um, the New Day briefly. But he didn't do any of the crazy rolling around and acting silly stuff. He just introduced them. Tomorrow, I'm expecting, or well, today, since it's almost one in the morning as we're recording this, um, I think that he's going to show that seriousness and hopefully the match is okay. I think the show overall will be somewhat better than night one, but I don't think by that much. Well, real quick, I'll just give my thoughts. I, I agree with Corey 100% on Orton versus The Fiend. I hope the crowd just takes a dump on it. Uh, I want to hear a this is awful chant. I want to hear, like, I mean, just, I want to hear a, a Husky Harris chant. I mean, just, he's <laughs> the right now, what was that, Corey? Change the channel, chant. Anything. Wow. <laughs> I mean, the, and then, oh, let's go to the main event real quick, because, when we talk about, remember when the Universal title was first introduced, that red ugly belt, and everyone mocked it, and everyone was like, oh, what is the purpose of this? And think about this right now. Technically, night two, the bigger night of the two events, and now, not the WWE Championship, which was the curtain jerker on mm-hmm. Saturday night. Now we get the Universal title is the main event of night two, and how much more that title is technically pre- more prestigious than your main title, so to speak. But yeah. that bothers me. And then also what bothered me more than anything, and I hope I'm wrong here. I really do. I mentioned this on my last episode on my podcast about the, the entrance of Daniel Bryan into this match, which most likely everyone can think, if you know this business, is that he was put into this match because he's going to be the guy to lose. And that's lazy booking. And I hope it, that isn't the case. I want to be surprised by the finish. But uh, real quick, both of you, what do you think about you agree with that, that he's just in there to lose, Sean? Uh, probably. I think they're also giving this as potentially his last really big main WrestleMania card because I, I kind of think he's kind of winding it down. So maybe that that's where this is coming from. 
but it also he looks strong going in. So they they built this this feud up with him in it, and they did a pretty good job with it. Corey, what do you think? I think all on the go home show for SmackDown. I mean, the matches weren't very good, but I think all three men's promos made you believe that they can win the match. Yeah. And I think his impassioned promo at the end, you know, with the the idea of how you know the yes actually came from, I think really worked for the average fan and make them believe that the babyface in this match actually has a chance. So I mean, I think going into it, he most likely. The plan was that, you know, if you if Roman's going to lose, Roman doesn't take the pin. So you can set up, you know, the rematch at the next pay-per-view actually having the one-on-one match. Like I said before, I don't think Roman should lose the title because I still think there's still meat on that bone of him being, you know, the badass heel. And I think it works better as him being the badass heel with the championship. But I would, I honestly would not be surprised if Daniel Bryan maybe is a transitional champion and then losing maybe to Edge or losing to... Roman, you know, in a paper, you know, one paper you after this, but I honestly could see any one of these guys winning and I would not have a problem with it. I think also really remember the w- sorry to sorry to cut you off, but the WWE also has a way of pushing stuff that should have happened to WrestleMania to the day after on Raw. So yeah. if there's something really yeah. big that was yeah. really supposed to happen, don't be surprised if they take a piece of underneath it and they push it over to Raw and extend it as that being the impetus for, I guess, backlash or whatever the next pay-per-view is after WrestleMania. So if, if there's something that should have happened at Mania, doesn't happen at WrestleMania, you'll know why. By the way, that's going to be a huge letdown. We get the crowd for two nights, and then we're going to get that post-Mania Raw back in the whatever the hell they call it. Because yeah. now we're going to have no crowd again. Thunderdome. Yes. Thunderdome. Sorry. I'm thinking about the Capitol Wrestling Center, the Thunderdome, everything. Like, they have to name everything something. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that wraps up this edition of Morton's Law on YouTube. I want to thank everybody for joining me. And uh, I want to thank the peeps, Nate. Woo! Can I get a woo? There we woo. go. Where can where can we find you, sir? What, what are you doing? You want to plug anything? I know you're on your roof all the time. What else are you doing? <laughs> what I can plug is do a podcast uh, with uh, the Hot Rod and Lady T. is called The Absolute Truth. It is on blog talk radio slash uh, absolute truth. 100.com you can check that out on blog talk radio and it's really good stuff sounds good and i'd also like to thank Corey richmond from the work shoot podcast Corey, tell us uh, when we can hear your next show and uh anything like twitter you'd like to plug also sure uh the work shoot wrestling podcast uh we've done over 200 i believe next episode will be 271 coming up uh usually every thursday at uh seven o'clock uh, me and Jason Brooks, and you can catch us on Twitter and Instagram at Workshoot Pod, and also the other podcast that uh, I'm part of is a comedy podcast. No one nearly as funny as our host this evening, uh, Christopher Morin, but that is you don't know Jackie podcast. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you can follow us anywhere where you uh, download podcasts. Just like uh, Chris, we use uh, Anchor FM. Find us. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, Google Play, apparently, you know, uh, iHeart and, you know, pretty much everywhere else. But it's always great uh, chatting with you guys. And uh, Sean, you know, maybe we can figure it out. You can uh, join us on the Workshop Wrestling Podcast sometime soon. Okay, I will definitely give that a try. So, guys, before I go, I just have to mention one thing, because I promised my audience two nights of YouTube. Tomorrow night, I'll be on again. I should say Sunday night slash Monday morning. 
with, because uh, I did a podcast recently with the host of the Smart Out uh, podcast, Jamal Edwards. He's going to be on with me to do recap of night two WrestleMania. And of course, you guys can also listen to my podcast, Morton's Law, on all major platforms and please support the show. I appreciate everybody for listening to this episode. And I'll be back, like I said, tomorrow night with night two. I thank you again, guys, and God bless gay sex. <laughs>